Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Coast to Coast Combat Hour. I'm your host, Matthew Hawkins, as always, joined by my co-host, Ed Carbajal. And on a weekly basis, we plan to bring you the biggest news and interviews in the world of combat sports. Ed, how was your Thanksgiving? Uh, good. I'm glad we're back uh, with a, with our guest, uh, Justin Wetzel. Uh, Justin, I actually uh, I did the live results for your uh, for your fight uh, when it was on. Uh, what was that? Uh, two weeks, two three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, and I was just saying to Matt, like I, I felt bad that I didn't uh, I didn't add the highlight of your of the 27 second fight. I mean. I wanted to rewatch it before we started, but um, I mean, uh, anyway, thanks for coming on. Welcome, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, this week we're joined by Justin Wetzel, ten and zero amateur, five and one pro, coming off a twenty uh, seven second KO win at uh, LFA on uh, November twenty second. Uh, Justin, uh, just to get the fans to know you a little bit, uh, what got you into fighting? Oh man, there's uh, that's man. It's probably oh, we probably need a half hour longer than a half hour to get into that. But uh, just kind of as a young kid, I, I wrestled throughout high school. Um, at some point in between, I got a, I just um, really uh, how to describe it. Just seeing like other wrestlers like Matt Hughes come. I'm also an Illinois wrestler, so like seeing like other wrestlers like Matt Hughes, they wrestled out of Hillsboro, was a two-time Illinois state champ. Um, just really, I kind of. I was always into, I don't know, watching it, but then um, I got in like a similar situation where I was in like a, a fight with a friend or whatever. We were wearing gloves and used like wrestling and just, uh, I don't know, always being around it, watching it, just kind of always, I don't know, I'm not painting a good picture here, but. Uh, um, well, that, that kind right. of. What's that? That kind of leads into where I was kind of going. I was kind of curious. Uh, you grew up in in uh, Illinois, uh, what right outside of like Iowa, it, kind of in the, the yeah. Quad City area, correct? So yep. um, you mentioned Matt Hughes. Uh, you're what? Are you 27 or 28? I've seen mixed. Uh, 27. I'm 28 in January. Okay. Well, happy early birthday. Uh, but um, I still so being from the Quad City areas. Uh, were guys like Pat Militech, you mentioned Matt Hughes, Jeremy Horn, Robbie Lawler, were those people recognizable to you growing up? I know you just mentioned Matt Hughes. Obviously, he was the big the big name out of that group, probably more in your age range. But um, were those guys prominent in that area? Uh, obviously, me being in, in Southern California, like Tito Ortiz, Chuck Liddell were, were names for the MMA fans. Was that how it was for you in the Midwest? Yeah, it was uh, more so like probably my early like middle school, like early high school days when those guys were coming up. Like, you know, you'd go to the state wrestling championships and you'd see like highlights of stuff like that on the big screen. And um, also where I was from in Sterling, uh, Militich was about 50 minutes away, 55 minutes away. I eventually um, started training there at some point in my career. That was long before like the Matt Hughes era and like Jeremy Horn, Tim Sylvia. They would show up occasionally, you know, help like coach and give insight. But, uh, yeah, like knowing that that was so close and so near is kind of something that I knew in order to get up to like a higher level as a young amateur, I would eventually have to like train with bigger people from bigger gyms like that. And ultimately kind of what led me out here to to uh, Denver. So uh, you actually 
talking about how you wound up out in Denver, one of the things I noticed, so I was, I was looking at your amateur record, looking at your pro record, um, with the finish you got at, at LFA and then, and your fight just before that, you got a TKO. Um, so did you change? You see, you seem like you were really into obviously imposing your wrestling on your opponents. What did you change about your training that, that turned you into a, you know, the, the, uh, I, I mean, I know it's two in a row and I'm, not, I'm I don't want to jinx anything for you, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like, 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 uh, what, what did you change to evolve your training to, 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 uh, be a better striking? Did it just come natural to you? That's a great question, man. Um, so like I kind of, my first four fights were all decisions. So, you know, it's four fights in, I already got an hour of freaking cage time. Um, I, uh, I kind of, I would say implemented the system that is like our team before I would just kind of use my wrestling to like hold people down. And my mentality almost would be just, you know, I keep them down, don't get submitted. I'm going to win the round, do it again, win the round, ultimately win the fight. But using that energy that I would use to hold someone down to actually that kind of flow and to use ground and pound, which is going to lead towards a finish, which is going to make them tired of itself getting beat on. You know, if someone's on their back just getting held down, I mean, it sucks and it can be grueling, but it doesn't hurt them. It doesn't really take them out of the fight other than being tired. And uh, as far as the stand up, yeah, um, I got to really credit that to high altitude martial arts here in Aurora and uh, Corey Sanhagen. Miguel Perez to drop a few names really, uh, really helped me a lot with uh, understanding the whole universe of striking really, really opened my eyes to like the levels of the game, man, like learning how to have your, your feet underneath you when you move, switching stances, switching stances is going to be the, the biggest thing I think in, in the coming decade with MMA as far as uh, just the evolution, because now that I see, like I see fighters that only use, uh, they only fight Southpaw, they only fight Orthodox. Their straight can only come from one side. Their lead hook is only going to come from one side. As if you're switching up, switching stances, it just opens a whole new realm. So uh, Corey Sanhagen's been a big factor in my development, I think. That's pretty cool. Um, so uh, the one thing I wanted to ask you, obviously, I mean, you, you were ecstatic after the win, um, but uh, it was kind of like a. I was just saying to Matt before we started recording and brought you on, uh, for you, I mean, it was your LFA de- debut. It was, it was LFA's only second uh, um, event that they aired on Fight Pass. Um, but that was like your promotional debut with them. So was there any, obviously you've been fighting for a while, but was there any additional nerves or jitters leading up to the fight? You seem pretty calm walking in, and obviously you exploded when you won. But, you know, um, can you just uh, uh, elaborate on how you felt like going in with the uh, the changes going on at LFA? Um, yeah, it, it, uh, I was excited, but I wasn't, uh, I wasn't anxious. I wasn't, you know, nervous thinking I have to do well. I mean, I knew I had to do well and perform and this is my chance to show. I was aware of all that mindfully, but I was not like over anxious. I wasn't jittery with that being said though. Uh, maybe I was just overexcited. I didn't sleep for about two days before the fight. I got, you know, I laid in bed like 10 PM to like six, 7 AM, just like, sleep maybe for like close my eyes for an hour wait like just be awake and it was like that for about two and a half days but (laughs) (laughs) i mean just i don't know excited i guess but no i I wasn't i I was just excited man i knew it was my chance to uh to like showcase literally to the world now with it being on fight pass whereas before when it was on access tv you know um you could watch it but if you missed it 
like good luck trying to find that unless they published it on YouTube. But now with it being on Fight Pass, it's archived. You can go back. I mean, I could go back and watch it right now if I wanted on my phone. Yeah. Now the original fight was postponed, correct? When it was when it was dropped from access. Yeah, it was. Uh, I found out in August. I was fighting October fourth, and I was uh, actually fighting a different opponent. And you find out a week and a half before, or a week maybe, maybe less before uh, the event gets canceled. But I stayed ready and like kind of stayed, kept my weight managed, and told LFA that I was going to be ready for the, uh, for the when they rescheduled it, and just send me the contract when when you're ready. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So you were you stayed in shape. Um, did they give you how much of a heads up did you have for the uh, November twenty second bout? About three and a half weeks, I think. That sounds about right. That under a month, but it, you know, it was October fourth to move to November twenty second. That's not too long of a delay. How much weight do you generally have to cut? What kind of shape do you have to stay in to to make weight? So when I'm healthy, I'm running around like one fifty, one like one fifty, one forty nine. That's when I'm like watching what I'm eating, staying consistent. When I'm liberal with my diet and kind of you know I eat late at night sometimes or whatever that it can get up to like 155 between 155 160 now if i'm just you know post-fight obese that's a whole different story in itself hmm. but <laughs> so around 150 155 yeah it's nice they got that in for you right just before thanksgiving so at least, it, oh, at least man, you... <laughs> it was perfect i like man i uh, actually went back to uh my family in illinois for thanksgiving you know just like oh, let's go get in the car and go and uh my family's always really big on Thanksgiving, so there was a ton of food, and it was it was perfect timing, <laughs> man. Awesome. So, uh, talking about the timing with the with the switch to to fight pass and everything, and that being your first fight, did uh, how was LFA's reaction? Uh, obviously, you, with a finish like that, I would imagine they're they're keeping you around for a few fights, right? Yeah, they uh, they said they'd you know great job, and they'd uh, keep me posted on their schedule for twenty twenty. Honestly, though, I'm not looking to take too many fights with LFA. You know, the way I see going forward is um, maybe if I do fight for LFA, I want it to be for the 135 Bankit title. You know, in a perfect world, I'd possibly hold out till the summer and get on the Contender Series. But mm. you know, that's that's all the way till summer. And a big part of this game too is kind of staying active and yeah, stay in the limelight. You know, and and keep uh keep finishing people. Yeah, it's all about the timing for that kind of stuff because, like, you know, say you don't yeah. want to, you know, especially after a big knockout like that when when the when it's hot, you want to you want to strike. So hopefully they line something up, give you that title shot uh, early next year. I've looked at your record. You know, you had a, you had two fights last year. Um, you had one in eight, in eighteen and, and two in, uh, or actually only one in seventeen. Has it just been bad luck? Uh, have you been trying to pace stuff? I mean, after having ten amateur fights, uh, is it just been? timing that hasn't worked out to have more bouts or do you prefer to just kind of uh, take the the smart fights it's a little bit of both um so timing wise i that fight i took in april of 2018 i i won the decision but i actually blew my knee out in the second round Hmm. so and and it ended up going towards the the whole distance and uh, i was out for about mm, seven seven months eight months finally rehabbed that Got back to in uh, late November around this time last year. Had the fight with Merrill in March, and then after that, uh, just wanted to keep uh, keep getting better. Keep uh, re- like this past year and a half, I've really, really like developed my my game to to be completely well rounded. And a big part of that has been like focusing, like I was talking about earlier with like Corey and my buddy Miguel, just working on footwork, 
striking, evolving that and blending that in with my wrestling, using your wrestling, not to hold someone down, but to evolve it into ground and pound. If they get up, then you can chain that with your striking back to the takedown. You know, there's just a whole, blending the whole game to, you know, make, make it sound easy, I guess, but obviously it's not. <laughs> I mean, uh, 135 is a pretty active. I mean, if you look at the sport as a whole, not just one promotion, but as a whole, I mean, it's it's it shouldn't be too hard for you to stay busy. Is there any 135ers out there that you, when you're watching, um, you know, like when you're watching the sport at, overall, that that you'd like to get at, or or any 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 matchups you you can see yourself in the future with? I know I know you want you just said you wanted a title shot with LFA, but. Um, uh, with options out there, is there any place in particular, if you had your choice, you'd like to go? Yeah, I got a couple, actually. I'm glad you brought that up. So, uh, you know, guys over in the OC, Dana, Sean, Mick, if you want, I got an easy one for you now for the Contender Series. Uh, me versus Jake Childers. Jake Childers is uh, 7-0. He's 2-0 and in LFA. We fought as amateurs for the cage aggression title. I won a five-round split decision. Uh, I think that would be a great – or if, that's, if it had to be, you know, if I had to get another one in before – a high-profile fight, that'd make a great LFA title fight. Rematch for five rounds. Um, I know a lot of people have been talking about Adrian Yanez. He won the uh, he won the LFA 78 card main event the week before me. So there's a bit of talk around him being next in line for the title. Well, those are two options I think of right now, out of the top of my head anyway, that I've been eyeing. I know I got offered a couple times uh, for Bell. Bellator does this thing, man, where they'll try to, like, sign hook people or try to feed people to their their guys their contracted guys yeah. i got asked in january to fight adele altamimi at 145 i accepted that immediately saw him like yep let's do it never heard back from the promotion ghosted he's fighting on the main card fighting some bum on like a three fight losing streak beats mm-hmm. him up real quick then uh it just happened actually two days ago uh they offered me gaston bolanos 145 tough fight like mm-hmm. solid kickboxer but from what I've seen of him, I, I definitely was uh, – I, I thought – I knew I could beat him, actually. I take that. I knew using my skills I could beat him and, like, exploit his weaknesses. So I said I was interested, but then I started, you know – I know my worth. I'm, I started asking, is this main card? Is this a single-fight contract? What's the pay? Where is this – like, all these questions. And the, uh, the answers started getting shorter and shorter, and sure enough, haven't heard anything back, so – I don't know. Yeah. Was that, a, was, just that interesting initially, was that initially for the January 25 card, the cyborg card here in uh, here in Los Angeles? Uh, the no, that was for the 21st in uh, Honolulu. In oh, so just card. just a month out. Yeah, that's that might not be the best. I mean, your you, your style yeah. matches up well with Bolaños, but mm. he's a that's a dangerous yeah, he's fight. Dangerous. On, yeah, very, out. very, yes. So in that aspect, I I think that's what differentiates me from other fighters. Is I see this like there's so much more to it than just fighting in a cage. Obviously, that plays a huge part in where you progress. But knowing all the behind the scenes stuff, fighting Bolanos is obviously a huge risk. You know, I have a five one record, four fight win streak. So the reward has to be right. You know, what's the pay for it? What's the the contractual terms? Am I going to be guaranteed another fight? Is it going to be at my natural, my actual weight class, one thirty five? As soon as they heard any like questioning or that, I'm sure they messaged you know five or six other people and just waiting for someone to be like, yeah, I'll take it. Sure, it's Bellator. Sign me. Yeah, I don't think any. I think all of his fights have been at 145 or even higher, yeah. maybe at 155. So I don't think he. Yeah, they were they were going to try to try to sneak you in probably at featherweight there, um, like you yeah, said. All in Bellator too. Yeah, I mean we're fans of Bellator, but obviously Bolaños is one of their Thanks. one of their po- one of their poster boys. So they they they're trying to. 
like you said, organizations sometimes try to try to, try to feed their guys. Um, yeah, they actually offered me a baby slice too last year at one fifty five. See what I mean? Oh wow! Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that was uh. Um, so I remember I was talking. I blew my knee out. Like yeah. Seven months later, I, my very first practice back, and I get a message like, hey, "Bellator wants you, one fifty five, baby size." Like in three weeks, like I've been off the shot. Like just started my first practice back today. I, I can't do that. But if I was healthy, I would have taken that fight. I've seen him fight, even if it was at one fifty five. Obviously, the first round he's going to be a tank. And he's going to be strong as hell. And but after that, I and sure enough, the the guy he fought it went exactly the way I thought. You know, did some strong power wrestling the first round. Beat his ass a little bit, but then gassed and ended up getting carried off in a stretcher because he couldn't breathe. Yeah, well, he actually, <laughs> it's you know, it's a funny coincidence. I talked to him. I covered uh, his last fight when he was out here. I covered the doubleheader for Bellator um, in October, and I spoke with him. I mean, it's it's a crazy coincidence, but he actually he actually wrecked his knee in that fight, and that's why he was really? out. Yeah, yeah. So well, it's it's just a, when you mentioned your knee and I was in the timing and everything. I'm like, wow, that's that's it's creepy. It's creepy and and almost eerily similar. But the fact that uh, that 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 was a fight that almost happened, it's that's I don't know. I, it's that's a weird coincidence to me. But um, uh, it, you know what? You're talking about all the options you had and, and the conversations, and the messages you're getting. It's just crazy to me um, to see how as the sport has has grown that a young fighter like your, yourself has these opportunities coming at him and obviously you know you had like you, you said it before when we started um staying active and keeping eyeballs on you so uh one of the is one of the things like when you're asking about contractuals so obviously bellator is on paramount slash the zone when you're looking at your options now i mean you are you looking yeah. do these have eyeballs on them like on flow or fight pass and stuff like that is it have your own marketability could you repeat the last like ten seconds? You kind of skipped there. Oh, he broke, sorry. He broke up when asking about I think uh, whether he wants to, looks into being on broadcast TV and such. Like yeah, it just uh, do you look at at how well the 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 offers you're getting, how well the uh, promotion is exposed to you know new fans, and obviously uh, you know that's got to count towards your pay. Is that something you take into account now when you're looking ahead? Yeah, I, I think so. Now coming off um, fighting for LFA. If I take a fight from now on, it needs to be um, at an exposure level, whether it be on a cable network, UFC fight pass, whatever, somewhere along those lines. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, kind of piggybacking off what Ed said. I mean, I think it bodes well for your future that, um, I mean, you're, you're five and one as a pro. Obviously, you have you have the 10 wins as an amateur, which uh, I mentioned, Ed, before we came on the air is you don't see that a lot. You don't see a lot of 10 and 0 amateurs. I mean, I know occasionally you see the guys that are bloated and are 20 and 0 and some of the, you know, but if if guys are really fighting equal competition, when you start seeing guys that are 10 and 0 and stuff, that's that's pretty rarefied air. But to be five and one pro and be getting offered names like Bolaños and and Baby Slice is, is uh as he said, for a, a younger fighter, you know, getting their career started, that's that that bodes well because, uh, you know, they want to put you in there with some names. You're not, you know, you, you're yeah. naming people that everybody across this country who fights or follows MMA knows. So um, that's pretty cool. Does that do you think you mentioned Corey Sandhagen and he's obviously a little bit in the news today because of the situation with his fight with Frankie Edgar changing and stuff. Um, being around those guys at that gym, uh, 
has that helped with your professionalism? Has that helped with your outlook as far as taking these fights or holding back a little bit? Or, I, I mean, what was your has your attitude changed as uh, being at elevation as opposed to where you were at in uh, Illinois? Yeah, really, it really has helped like learning how to be a professional. And a big thing of like I was saying earlier is learning about how there's so much more to this game than just the fight in itself in the cage, which again is a huge part of it. But understanding the risk reward factor, the exposure, you know, who are you? Are you fighting another UFC caliber guy for what, 500 bucks on a regional card that nobody's going to ever know about other than the people that were there? Just uh, being able to factor all those things in. Is play, it made a huge difference out here. No, it's just knowing your brand, like investing in your brand, knowing your worth kind of as a fighter and uh, just taking taking everything to it very seriously. Building your brand and having like a name behind you, at least in this day and age with MMA now, is a huge component, man. That is the difference between getting sponsors, getting recognized, getting exposure. And eyeballs right now is what the big promotions are looking for. They want eyeballs on the product. What are you going to be able to bring to them? That's a big part, yeah, to answer your yeah. question. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so that's funny that you're mentioning that because uh, what I was going to ask next was um, being around those guys that are obviously that they're fighting in UFC and stuff like that and you're talking about negotiating everything. Um, what's the uh, – what's the? I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask this. How does your, how does your, uh, your training partners – because I feel like it's an unwritten it, – there's a, there's a class you can't take, but you have to figure it out. And obviously to build your brand, especially with MMA, you have to be active on social media. So what's the, what type of advice do you get or, or how do you feel about it? Do you think it's ridiculous or, or you know, what, what are the guys like uh, Corey and them say over at uh, Elevation? What, what, what type of advice do you get over there? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, oh man, I used to have a, probably two and a half years ago, I think I used to have just a flip phone, regular non-basic <laughs> phone. But yeah. I've kind of just accepted it conforming now and uh getting on with the game of it but uh yeah i mean uh even even a lot of people back at the gym still like i don't know like how to say it. like curtis when i moved when i moved to denver i uh i lived with uh curtis blades at neil magny's house for a bit and uh he was always like recording everything we were doing i'm like what are you doing what the fuck are you doing and he's just like, oh, my man told me i gotta like this is how it, this is how it has to be forever like as long as i'm like a professional athlete so uh, he kind of really got me on the train of the social media to start and uh recently though probably the past month now i've been really like taking it seriously trying to like really organically grow my following and just promote myself and get awareness out there and when you do that from what like to other people listening or other like fighters out there that aren't really convinced about it for instance I've been trying to grow my Twitter following. I'm trying to grow it. I come across this. I follow you guys. You guys reach out to me. It provides this media opportunity. If I wouldn't have gotten on that social media, like whatever, try to grow my following, this podcast probably wouldn't be happening right now. And I wouldn't be talking to you guys and you guys wouldn't be showing clips for whatever you're going to show it on and people wouldn't see it. It just creates opportunity. As much as I hate it and might feel narcissistic, if you're an athlete and you're in this sport, you have to do it. No, I mean, I think that's what the best thing about social media is. There's a lot mm-hmm. of garbage out there. Um, a lot of people, it gives a lot of people that we don't really care about their opinion. But when you get situations like this where um, it allows fans and, and writers like Ed and, and uh, you know, other podcasts and stuff, chance to reach out and, and interact with uh, fighters. And, and 
I mean, it was just, just such an easy communication. I, I've always said that that's what that's what social media is all about, the ability to reach out to people and 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 open up uh, uh, doors that, you know, 10 years ago would have been impossible. You know, this, yeah. this an interview like this would have never happened 10 years ago in, in any aspect unless we lived in the same town as you and we were covering one of your fights. So, um, no, I think that's great. Uh, you mentioned Blades and Magni and Sandhagen and, and all these big names. Um, this backtracks a little bit, but how did you how did you end up at Elevation? Were you invited there? Did you show up on their door one day? I, how how exact? Explain how exactly how that works. Did you know somebody that was already training there? All right, so I can give you the backstory behind that. So I'm from Sterling, Illinois, and uh, I was training there with uh, one of my trainers, Joe Laughlin, and uh, we would we would travel up to Militich. We would cross train train there and uh, drive up to Militich, which I said was about an hour away. But um, Austin Hubbard, another UFC fighter, right, he's from Sterling, too. We actually trained together, like, at a local gym, like I was saying, with Joe. And we would travel up to uh, Militage to train. So Barb Honchek, who was the first Invicta flyweight champion at 125, she, she was at Militage. Um, we, you know, pretty close with everyone there. We had been training there for about a year and a half, now two years. And um, Barb is, like, best friends with... Kat Zanganu uh, <coughs> was training at uh, Elevation in Denver, Colorado. Um, Barb and her were talking like, hey, you should have some guys like come out, like train this or that. So she mentioned it. She was pretty good friends with our trainer, Joe. She mentioned Joe's, Joe said that. Uh, Joe's talked to us, heck, hey, you guys, uh, you know, said you guys should come check it out. Like get some tickets, stay out there for so Booked a hotel, got the some cheap flights for a week out there. Went to uh, the Muscle Farm facility and was like, "This is the place." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we yeah we, we were out there for a week. I uh, got Neil Magny's number. He told me he has a fighter house that he like rents out to fighters. Uh, saved that number. Went back home. Uh, we, me and Austin were both working at a warehouse, uh, Walmart distribution center warehouse. He uh, just he said, "Fuck it, I'll try it," and like put in for a transfer when he got back. Sure enough, got a call like two days later. He's like, you're accepted. You're going to Denver in like two weeks. Get your shit ready. So he was out there, and uh, it was about 10 months later I moved out there. And me and Austin were living at Neil Magny's fighter house. Wow. That's a, that's a cool story. Yeah. How, did, how, did the, uh, how did the elevation uh, go for a country boy out there? Oh, my God. God, dude, <laughs> it's horrible. You just take a deep breath, trying to get some oxygen. You get nothing back, and meanwhile, there's a guy just dancing around you, bopping, punching you, and just oh, dude, it was horrible. Yeah, it took it took a, a solid at least two months, I think, to really get acclimated, or at least to like start to deal with it. It takes, I think, longer than that though to actually be like naturalized to it. Now, where it's like, I don't really feel it anymore. I feel it when I go other places though, like the the excess oxygen, I guess you'd call it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's sucked, man. I went there, I think my first practice was a Thursday, pretty intense, like grappling, wrestling class. And man, yeah, wrestling, grappling, no oxygen, first day in. It was was broken quick, man. (laughs) So like I I do jujitsu and I I actually have respiratory issues. So when the weather changes, um, just you talking about that. I have asthma too. So just you talking about that, I almost felt an asthma attack coming on. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, I mean, 
it's obviously made you a more explosive, uh, stronger fighter. So uh, whatever you're doing, you got to keep doing it. And uh, I just followed you actually before we started recording this. So uh, on Twitter. So yeah, definitely, man. That that's uh, it looks like it's working out for you. Um, I I feel stupid because it just hit me why they call it elevation now with that story you told. <laughs> I'm like, oh duh, yeah. He's he's from New Jersey. He's from Jersey. Don't don't blame him. But um, anyways, everybody, fans, again, Justin Wetzel, five and one pro, ten and zero amateur. Uh, Justin, you want to throw out your uh, speaking of uh, social media, you want to throw out your handles and any way people can contact you or follow you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Jay Wetzel, W E T Z E L L M M A. That's my handle for both Instagram and Twitter. Follow me on there. Watch my journey, man. We look forward to it. Um, again, glad to get a chance to meet you and uh, connect this week and get you on the show so quickly. And um, congratulations again on your last win. Uh, big, big show, big win, great knockout, uh, big highlights. So uh, we, I know Ed and I both look forward to uh, following your career and uh, helping promote you as much as uh, we can lend a hand. So, uh, again, thanks for joining us. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Let me know when you guys want to do it again sometime. Awesome, man. Thank you. Have a good holiday if we don't talk before then. Will do. See you, man. All right. Good night. Hey, guys. Ed here. East Coast side of the Coast to Coast Combat Hour podcast. If you like what we're doing, make sure you subscribe on youtube and anywhere you listen to podcasts also if you'd like to help us out and donate uh the support links are in any of the uh podcast descriptions and in some the links are also provided on our youtube channel the blogboard jungle um thanks again for listening and if you give us some support we'll give you a shout on the podcast maybe uh bring you on for a ufc pay-per-view breakdown or two thanks again <laughs>